Welcome to Here For Now, the podcast that's loosely based on creativity and the joys and struggles that go along with it. My guest this week is Brendan Davis. Brendan is a photographer and filmmaker based in Colorado. We talk about the innocence of youth and whether or not we have much innocence left. Brendan discusses why he values personal projects over other work. We also dig into the dangers of comparison and why it's something we shouldn't do so much. All that and more coming up on Here For Now. Yeah, for breakfast. Had some coffee. I had pretty usual omelet with spinach, goat cheese, toast. Nice. Do you do omelets frequently? Most most mornings. Do you feel like you have like a good technique down? Are you dialed on the omelet flip? Well, sometimes a lot of times my omelets are kind of just like put everything in the pan and then scramble it as I'm going. And if it if it becomes like a omelet, that's kind of cool. A lot of times it's just kind of scramble. But recently I've been doing more of the omelet shaped. Nice. Are you cast iron person or are you using a different kind of pan? Cast iron some days, some days not. It just kind of depends on, on where the cast iron pan is in my view. If it's if it's on the stove already, I'll use it. But if it's in the cupboard or like on the drying rack, then I won't, won't touch it. A lot of people freak out about putting soap in cast iron pans. Do you ever, you ever put I a little soap in there? can't put soap in that. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's like the only rule you, you kind of have to follow with keeping it usable. It's the only way to keep it nice and seasoned. Yeah. Growing up or even recently, have you, do you have any nicknames? Yeah, I have. I've had a few different nicknames. Mostly I, people just call me Brendan, but some people call me uh, like Bren. People call me Daddy, which is a little bit more <laughs> obscure nickname. I don't know if you already know the story, but I like sometimes I was on the Grand Canyon and I was like rowing a rapid that I shouldn't have been rowing. And I just made a joke saying like, All right, who's grabbing Daddy a beer? Because I successfully rowed the rapid and the people on the boat denied my skill and then i kept making jokes about like who's your daddy now and then and then i kind of stuck but a surprising amount of people call me daddy across the country just to be clear you tubed lava yeah for those people who don't know what that is can you explain what lava is in the grand canyon yeah see i'm i'm not (laughs) i don't know much about rivers and i didn't know anything about rivers when i did the grand canyon so lava basically is a huge rapid i think it's like said to be one of the largest rapids on the river, uh, maybe the most consequential. And uh, there's like a cheese grater rocks. So if you go in the hole, you fall into the, the water, you could get stuck and pinned pretty easily. Friend Spencer Lacey like wanted to tube it and he had two tubes and it's just me and him. I was like, who's taking the other tube? And he's like, oh, you can. I was like, okay, first time ever tubing. And we just go in and he's like, I right, just hold on to your tube. And uh, yeah, we just kind of went, went through it and held on for dear life. Did you know the consequences of that when you went into it or did you kind of find out afterwards when everybody started calling you daddy? I think it was like the next day somebody like asked me like, oh, is that the coolest thing you've ever done in your life? And I was like, I don't think so. It actually took like months later for people then to be like, oh, wow, YouTube, blah, blah, that's a really dumb idea for me to realize like, oh, that's maybe like a crazy thing I just did. But in the moment it was kind of just like, oh, everybody was tubing other rapids. So this one seemed to be a good one for me to do. Yeah, I think you've achieved a little bit of a legendary status from that <laughs> that decision to do that. Because I've been a part of multiple conversations where they're like, yeah, I heard about this guy who, yeah. who tubed it. Yeah, and he was here. <laughs> it went like on some viral Instagram page where it was like narnivores. Yeah, I've met some people and they're like, oh, well, yeah, I heard two people like 
tubed it. I was like, oh yeah, I was the guy with the mohawk helmet. Somewhat naive, naive uh, courage, but. You recently put out a film with Kirk Horton, The River That Flows Both Ways. You talk a little bit about the innocence of youth. How old are you? You're. I'm 25. You're 25. So you're on the back half of your 20s now. Do you feel like there's any of that innocence of youth left? I hope that there's still some innocence left and the good type of innocence, I guess, for kind of stay hopeful and kind of keep pursuing these kind of more, I don't want to say childish, but more like lighthearted adventures. I'm trying to figure out more ways to add that more in my life where it's trying to find more innocence and find just the more fun part of life. Uh, Cause it's so easy, I think, to get like caught up in what's, what's so serious. And for that film in particular, going down the river that I had known my whole life and spent so much of my childhood and not realizing that it was a devastatingly polluted uh, river, but still had like the best moments of my life on that river. But had I known that it was polluted, maybe it would have been a different experience. I hope that there's still innocence. And I still hope that there's like ways I can continue having fun despite how much craziness there is in the world. But I think you kind of have to like, like sometimes step back and be like, all right, I'm going to have fun today. I'm going to laugh. I'm going to do this. Keeping the innocence of youth and trying to find just more youth in life is what's always on my mind in all the projects I do and all the adventures. And that's kind of why I like to go out and, and do those, those things. It can definitely be difficult, especially when there's a lot more pressures going on. And this is something that I want to get into later in our conversation about working in the creative space and some of the stresses that come along with that, especially Mm -hmm. that it's going on right now. Um, But before we get into that, I have a bunch of other things that I want to talk to you about. On your website, I noticed in your about page, you have a link to a playlist that's called playlist of songs my dad might like. (laughs) What's the story behind that? Yeah. So my, it's a great playlist, by the way. Yeah, thanks. Thanks. I'm glad people are finding that and listening. So my dad is just always listening to music, and that's been like a big part of, of my life growing up. I just made this playlist of songs that I thought my dad might like, and they happen to be some of my favorite songs. And the reason why I put them on my website is to kind of just show some personality in, in music, and I'm listening to that playlist most of the day, most days, and kind of just gets me in, in a certain headspace. My dad likes the songs. He likes most of them. He said there's a couple songs he doesn't like. Sometimes I sneak on songs like Dua Lipa, songs and just to see what he thinks and if he says like oh no maybe not that one but he's sometimes surprises me with with what he does like yeah but i think for the whole website kind of trying to take out the seriousness of it and just kind of showing my personality and i think if like if i can show who i am in a short one page thing or two page thing hopefully somebody might like like it or want to like hang out with me enough to hire me or dive more into into my work well it certainly worked for me i was like oh there's a playlist here like i'm definitely gonna check that out yeah and I feel like I get to know a little bit about other aspects of your life just by the title. It definitely caught my eye, so I, I dig that. How did you end up with a camera in your hand in the first place? I kind of had like two two times in my life that I feel like I started taking photos and videos. The first time I was in like fourth grade. My best friend Matt and I started making claymation videos, and we're doing <laughs> we're making claymation stop motion videos with video. So we take like a one second clip and then move the thing and then move it and then put it onto YouTube because YouTube had just come out and it was like really cool that we were in fifth and fourth and fifth grade to realize like, oh, we can make something and then put it online and then people on the internet can watch it. And that kind of like then led to us throughout middle school making these skit videos. You cannot find them online. So don't even like try to find them. They've been taken down long ago because they're definitely... Were Were they taken down by you? They're taken down by my friend who's like was pursuing a career in acting and didn't really want to. Uh, that's fair. <laughs> yeah. We found like a couple of clips from them in the past and they're like very classic kids with the video camera making videos. There's actually one still online and it's probably my most viewed video online. It has like 40,000 views and it's called The Aliens Are Real, They Exist. 
<laughs> and it's a video of uh, me and another friend in my backyard. And there's like these like very animated aliens walking across stage, kind of like clip art type things. And there's like sound effects and everything. But there's like all the YouTube comments are hysterical because it's we're like in fifth or sixth grade. I don't know how old you are then, but uh, comments are being like, this isn't real. These aren't real aliens <laughs> or like clearly this isn't reality. Yeah. Yeah. But it's just people get so mad. So so easy on that. But then so after that, that first wave of doing these kind of like skits in high school, I got really into longboarding with my friends and started making longboards and the longboards were really, really bad, but I was marketing them through photos and videos of my friends, like organize, organizing a race, organize different just gatherings for people to longboard and hang out in this like kind of small town. One of the, one brand busting boards in New York city, like saw one of the videos and was like, Oh, how about like we share this video and maybe send you a board someday or something. I was like, Oh, that's kind of cool. Like a brand is going to like give me free stuff for this video that I made that kind of just developed into like this whole idea of like, Oh, maybe I can like pursue this as a profession. And this was in 10th grade. And then from there, I got into like more doing documentary stuff with my friends, made like a documentary of my teachers and talking about their passions and just filmed everything my friends were doing. That was anything from like going swimming in the Hudson River to skateboarding to like going hiking, jumping trains, whatever we did in our in our youth. Between those two experiences in fourth grade, making claymations and doing skateboarding videos kind of just led into this path of always having a camera. Yeah, it's cool to hear that it's always kind of been, when you think back on it, that it's always sort of been there. I first picked up a camera, I was rummaging through a closet in my house and my dad had at one point in his life taken up an interest in photography and he purchased a Roloflex and I think he had put three rolls of film through it and then put it in the bag and it sat in the closet until I was, I don't know, like 12 or 13 That's awesome. and pulled it out one day and I was like, I don't even like, what is this thing? Like I was young enough to have grown around film cameras you had like point and shoot 35 mil cameras was a lot of the photos taken when i was growing up but yeah the first camera i ever picked up was a, a twin lens roloflex and i didn't really know how to use it i like knew it was a camera and it felt cool to hold but i never really took photos with it until after i'd spent more time like shooting photos yeah. with like a an slr that's but, a cool that's a cool thing to start with yeah just the whole like mechanical aspect of it which you don't really get even now as much. Yeah. It was nice to just pick up a thing and be like, this is weird. And it feels kind of cool to turn the dials. And like, I didn't know at all how to use it. And did you get the film developed? Like were you? Yeah, I don't have, I had some of my like first rolls of film in a, you know, negative box for the longest time. And I don't know, somehow at some point I lost it and I really would love to look back at some of those first photos. I'm sure they weren't good at all. Yeah, I'd have no idea whatever happened to any of that stuff. I tend to want to get rid of stuff. And I imagine at one point I was like, oh, I don't need this anymore <laughs> and just got rid of it. So it's somebody bought it at Goodwill and was like, oh, I don't man. know what this is or something. You know, yeah. I probably donated it and maybe it's in somebody's closet somewhere. Yeah. If you find my photos, send them my way. <laughs> you grew up in Cornwall, New York. Yeah. Have you, and now we're here in just outside of Boulder, Colorado. Mm -hmm. Have you lived other places between Cornwall and here? Not in the same way. Like I've lived now in Boulder for um, almost four years and then grew up in, in Cornwall, lived in the same house my whole life. But then like other than like going to college in Ithaca, New York, and then spending like a few months in different countries. Like I was in Costa Rica for like five months and then Nepal for a few months. But other than that, that's kind of the places I've been. Um, I didn't plan on living in Boulder for four years. I kind of like moved here thinking I was going to be here for a few months after after basically a year of traveling and then like a sublet turned into a, a lease 
turned into another lease, turned into another lease. And some, some of those places I lived in Boulder has been kind of interesting, kind of just weird, weird spots. Yeah, I'm still here and don't really plan on leaving immediately, but maybe, maybe, maybe someday. Why have you stayed? My, the group of friends that's kind of been developed over the past four years has been pretty, pretty amazing. And Boulder, I think it's pretty easy to kind of like criticize Boulder, but I think it's easy to criticize everywhere and criticize it in the way that's like, maybe it's a little expensive. It's sometimes feels a little like unreal or people kind of living in like <laughs> some sort of a fantasy, which isn't a terrible fantasy to be in, but it's definitely just some lacking reality and lacking diversity in any sort of any sort of the word. Um, like just people's interests are kind of all the same. And I have those interests and I like running and that's why I moved here. I moved here because I had ran in college, spent a year traveling and needed to find a running community again, just because that was my most of my identity and community growing up and especially in college. And I found that here. Yeah, I found it to be a bit of a battle from time to time with in just how expensive it can be. And there is definitely, there's certainly, you know, people talk about the bubble and I certainly experienced that. And I would love to not be a part of the bubble a lot of the time. Yeah. Sometimes there's a bit of a fantasy life that's being lived around here and it's, it, it's hard to get out of when sometimes, you know, you can have some pretty dreamy days around totally. these parts. And, um, but it's as long, I think as long as you can, build a perspective realizing that the rest of the world isn't all like boulder colorado totally totally and i think um, people put themselves in bubbles and they're like absolutely nice, nice bubbles to be in a lot of people want to live only comfortably and yeah it's definitely a spot you can get away with that if you can make enough money <laughs> definitely definitely it's just, it's just crazy to me how like you could go months or weeks without like without even leaving boulder proper yeah and, like denver is only like 30 minutes away and i've been trying to go there more often and just trying to make a cautious effort to like keep expanding people I'm talking to or keep people uh, finding new perspectives in other ways. You spend some time and have a relationship with Pattern in Denver. Yeah. Can you tell me a bit about that? Pattern is like a collective space in, Den in Denver of uh, documentary artists, uh, mostly pretty much all photographers. For me, it's been a great place having come from more of a commercial background. Like I studied advertising and a lot of the work I do is in, it might be phrased as kind of documentary, but it's still advertising for outdoor brands. Um, and I'm trying to get more into purely documentary, a little bit more fine art type work. So I'm learning a ton from all these photographers in pattern who are older and just have more experience in a broader sense of, of the industry. And there's a photo book library there that has like hundreds and hundreds of, of photo books that Ben Rasmussen, who's the, the founder of pattern, he's kind of just collected and collected all these books. And it's just great to go in for like a couple hours each week and kind of study different work beyond what is like on Instagram or what's on what's in the industry, what I'm getting hired for. It's really nice to be able to flip open a book and look at something tangible and flip Definitely. through pages. And it's amazing how much something on an actual physical page can jump out and catch your eye more than scrolling on your phone or even making a, taking conscious time to look at stuff on your computer. I've always been more of a, a tangible person, especially when it comes to looking at photography and documentary Definitely. work. When I was in college, I worked in a print lab Oh, nice. In Chicago. That's sweet. I was always in the lab helping people make good prints and making my own prints. I didn't realize how much I missed the act of saying like, hey, here's an image. I'm going to print it. I'm going to see how it looks on the wall in front of my face. Half the time, you know, that stuff just ended up in a folder somewhere. But the, the process of it has been really, I remember it being very beneficial to my creative juices flowing. And uh, yeah, it sounds like you've found a little bit of that balance with 
going down a pattern and definitely, checking out some of that. Definitely. And it's, it's kind of been a pretty good push to be pursuing more personal work beyond and separating, separating out my like photography practice is both commercial and then documentary or personal work. Um, and having the fine separation and like being okay with the work that I do for my own personal interest is not being work that's going to be necessarily getting paid. But now like every personal project that I do has some sort of print component or mo- most of the time it does where it's just like having it printed out whether it's just a zine or like a poster or postcards, just having something that I can like print out, look at, interact with and whether people want to see it or not, that's fine. But like going down there and, and seeing like the possibilities of, of that has, has been really nice. Talk to me a bit more about the the value of the personal project. That's something that I have found over the years I've gotten away from. And it's something I'm trying to get back into. Mm-hmm. What do you get out of pursuing that sort of work? I think the personal project is everything. Like if I didn't do personal work, there'd be no point of doing this job. I think there's a lot easier ways to like make a living that aren't as like mentally destroying or mentally just taxing. And that's, that's the constant battle of always trying to find the time to be like, all right, I've, I'm going to set like the next few weeks to doing my own personal project and, and exploring what I want to explore and having, it's really hard to have that space though. Cause you still need to be making money and the job is pretty hard. The nicest thing is realizing that like whatever I'm making for the personal project, is going to be for myself first and then beyond whatever happens beyond that is, is extra. So thinking of like, all right, why do I want to do this? What am I getting out of this? What am I exploring? Cause that's kind of why I wanted to do photography in the first place is to use this tool to explore different topics that I enjoy or want to learn more about. And I don't get that from a lot of commercial work because commercial work is there's like a job you go and you have to shoot this product. Yeah, there's a, a lot way. of specific direction. Definitely. Definitely. And for personal stuff, it might take a really long time. It could take years, but it's kind of where yeah, I get to like dive into myself and whatever the topic or subject that I'm, I'm around is. And ideally at some point, most of my time will be spent doing that. A lot of my mind is already in the personal work way more than the commercial work. And I could have like three or four, three, three to five personal projects going on at any time. And they take a long time. Like there's been this one film that I've been working on for like three years. That's just been on my mind constantly, but I haven't actually like opened up the timeline on premiere or like opened up, haven't actually looked at it, but I still been thinking about it and thinking of how I'm going to tell the story even like three years after shooting it. Yeah. With commercial work, you never have the time in space to take a step back from it. There's always yeah. some sort of deadline that you have to definitely follow. And sometimes even in projects that like commercial work that maybe you're excited about, sometimes it feels a little bit unfinished when you don't have that time. Definitely. Which I'm okay with sometimes. Yeah. I'm kind of, sometimes if like the commercial work has like a definite end and it's like, all right, this is going to be a week of your life and you're going to do this thing. Then it's like, all right, cool. That's a week where I do this thing. Then the next week I can be back to like taking photographs of people on like Boulder Creek during the summer <laughs> or like going to like a alligator farm in the San Luis Valley or doing just kind of whatever I want to be doing. So it sounds like doing commercial work is really an avenue for you to do the personal projects, the more fine artwork, the stuff that you think about when you go to bed at night. Have you ever had to work other jobs, random work to to support the love for making the art i've not really had to work too many side jobs beyond photography or video or filmmaking when i was in college i kind of like i said earlier i studied advertising and had a pretty good sense of kind of just business and i was really afraid of graduating college and then going to work in an advertising agency because to me that felt like it was going to be the easier 
choice to get a job and kind of like go down this path. We moved to New York City and work in advertising. And I was always afraid if I like started working another job, then I'd get too comfortable making money and then photography would kind of go by the wayside. In the first like couple of years after college, I did not make much money, but I was really cautious of like saving a lot or just not spending anything. But when I moved, so I was in Costa Rica and then Nepal and both of those places I was working. And when I moved here in April, 2017, I had an, somewhat of an understanding that I didn't know anybody, didn't know a single person in Colorado, never mind like any work clients. And I was like, I need to like get a job just to make some money for like groceries while I'm figuring out my footing a little bit. And I got a job doing dishes at Jack's Fish House. And it's kind of like a funny job because I, I maybe moved here on like on a Monday and got the job on like Wednesday. But I called them because they had a listing on Indeed. And I was like, all right, like I need a job. You guys have a job opening. I'm going to quit this job pretty quickly. And they're like, it's a dishwasher. Like it doesn't really matter. Like people quit dishwashing all the time. Like just keep showing up as long as you can. And I worked like seven hours a week which is hardly a job, but then got a photo job, like a photo gig and quit that. And I was like, I'm just gonna like keep going to this. My mentality was all or nothing and kind of keep that going as long as possible. And if I like keep my head all on this, then I can, can keep it going. Yeah, I really respect that. The concern of getting too comfortable and letting the thing that you were passionate about in the first place fall to the wayside, I think is a very real concern. Yeah. And when I was in college, I helped offset the student debt action from, I, you know, and even in high school, I started shooting like senior portraits and that sort of thing. And then I started shooting weddings when I was in college and I didn't really enjoy it that much at the time, you know, a thousand dollars was like the most amount of money to me. Definitely. And I would be stoked. I'd shoot one wedding and be like, okay, cool. Just like throw this at the student loans. And when I moved out to Colorado, I was pretty dead set on not having to do another job. I was like, I'm coming here to do this thing. Mm -hmm. I'm going to be a photographer. I'm going to be a filmmaker. I'm going to make it happen. But I had like $800 in my bank account when I moved here and rent was more than that. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. Uh, I remember going to an interview at like a wedding event space where they had staff photographers and I'm sitting in a room. I like, you know, I went to college to be a photographer. And so I like, I brought my portfolio. I was all prepared and like, they didn't care about any of that stuff. Sitting in a room with other people applying and they were talking about their process and I mean, I was totally a dick to these people, but <laughs> I, they were talking about how they only shoot JPEG because yeah. they, it was like a, you know, bring them in, shoot the photo, send them out kind yeah. of thing. And I just like started talking shit to them for not shooting raw. <laughs> <laughs> and then I left. <laughs> I like didn't get the job. I was just like, I can't work here if you yeah. guys don't actually care about the quality of the images you're making. Totally. And, like there was definitely a better way to go about that. Yeah. But it sticks in my mind as this sort of, I was trying to maybe find some consistency and just some paycheck. And I was sitting in this room being like, I can't do this. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Definitely. I mean, there's like, there's some moments in that first year I would maybe work some contract jobs for like, I'd like do social content for through a PR agency and take photos of like some products. And that was like my intro into the outdoor industry. And then that like that finished. And then I was in this, moment where I was like, oh my gosh, I have no work planned and I have not enough money to pay rent each month necessarily. Then like on, I was on Craigslist looking for jobs, which is like a terrible place to be. This is like my breaking point. I was like, I need to like change what I'm doing a little bit and like refocus how I'm working my business or like how, how I'm like working as a photographer. I was like, was going to go shoot some woman who was like going to like paint her body and go swimming in Boulder Creek. It was going to be $50 and she had like delayed it. Like she had canceled on me like three times already. I was like, what am I doing this oh, man. for? 
in that moment, I was like, I need to like reach out to some photographers and like maybe start assisting. And I got in touch with uh, this guy named George Lang, um, who I assisted for like five months, kind of while I was still doing my own personal things. So I, I have had like some more stable jobs like that. So I haven't been totally freelance, but I was assisting him. He's an older photographer. He used to be like a celebrity photographer in um, LA and New York City. And he's done some, he's shot every everybody you can think of. And at the point of the career that I was helping him at, he was kind of diving into his own personal work and diving into kind of these more like off moments. And I learned so much from him um, about like file management and invoicing and just, I could hear his voice when I'm going to shoot now, where he always was like, All right, like what does a photo like look like, smell like, taste like? There's probably some other things in that, but that's just the gist of it. And like, I hear him saying that when I'm out shooting and looking for more of these off moments. He had an office in this, in that abandoned hospital at Sunitas. Do you remember that? The Sunitas hospital that was like on like fourth and Mapleton? Yeah. I know they're turning it into like a luxury retirement community yeah. now, but I had no idea it was like there was office space for rent in there at any time. Well, that's the thing. I don't know if it was actually like a legitimate office space, but he... He was just hanging out inside the old hospital? I mean, he was renting it from a company, but I don't remember sure. like not every room was an office. Like there's like maybe like five businesses in the whole building. Okay. But at that time I was still like not, I didn't have enough money even like working with him. wasn't like enough to like really sustain myself. So I actually rented an office and lived in it for three months. Uh, and it was like this like eight by eight foot doctor's office, not like the doctor's office where you go and get a checkup. It's like where the doctor goes and like files his reports. And I made it look like an office and it had like a futon and I like slept in it for three months and it was a hundred dollars a month. And like in that time, that was like around the same time that I stopped working for him and just diving into myself. So I was saving money, subletting my apartment while living in this hospital. It was an absolutely ridiculous thing. I was eating like gummy bears and like chips and like raw belt bell peppers <laughs> that was just my life for three months I didn't really have like I had some friends then but wasn't really hanging out with too many people I was just like in this small windowless room and then I'd wake up and there'd be like people working in their businesses like around me and like oh my gosh I like overslept I'm like in my boxers I need to like pretend like I was on a business call in the morning so they don't like think I was like sketchy being here but that was like a really crucial three months for my like personal <laughs> development jump starting into some sort of savings. <laughs> That's certainly some commitment. Yeah, yeah. I love hearing stories like that. If that didn't happen, I like maybe would not have been able to keep doing photo work. There's so many things that have like helped me out in that way that have just been, if I had like a couple more expenses at any time, it would have been like, all right, I have to get a new job. But it's like cutting everything out so much to the fact that I was spending like $20 a week on food, $100 a month on rent. It's like, this is, this is, this is good for now. Like I can survive. I've been a part of several conversations with creative folks people who are photographers and filmmakers lately and it seems like a lot of people are stressed and worried maybe not seriously and maybe some seriously talking about it being too hard when you start adding more responsibilities into your life and you start having to you know your bottom line gets higher and higher from 120 dollars a month to whatever it could be mm -hmm. have you been having these conversations with folks about their concern about the longevity of their career and do you ever feel like quitting or doing something else? I think everybody is questioning at some point in their career whether or not they're like in the right career path. Photography and filmmaking is one of those careers where you question your existential purpose a little bit more often and I definitely have that and there's weeks where it's like oh my gosh like maybe it would be better off to like have a different job and then doing this just cut out the commercial work and just do the work that I want to be doing. But then like, I keep thinking about it and it's like, well, the commercial work isn't really that bad. Like I could still, it's still like going and shooting with 
friends often like in the mountains running around it's like this is way better than like working nine to five all the time and now that i've been doing this for almost five four years it'd be hard to kind of go back to that for me it's like an existential crisis that does keep coming up and i think the existential crisis for me is sometimes beyond just like work related and just kind of more general life things like i definitely have had like repeated depression in my life where I just kind of fall into these these holes where I don't really know where it comes from or what stems it. But I've done a lot of work in the past few years to like keep on top of mental health by going to therapists, doing like making sure I'm running, exercising, kind of doing all the things that uh, people say to do when you're like down. So if I'm on top of that, then I usually don't have as many of these doubts. I'm really trying hard to be in the moment with everything and like, all right, this project's going well. Like I'm pretty excited about doing this. In this moment right now, I'm, I'm doing okay. And that's all that needs to happen. It's so easy to like project like three years or 10 years from now and be like, oh man, this is kind of crazy. If I'm like, if I'm still running 60 miles trying to take photos for a brand in like 10 years from now, like maybe I, maybe I should have a different career by then, but I'm pretty open to developing that way, developing into new things. Definitely right now, maybe in a few months, I'll be like, oh my gosh, I gotta get out of this. For me, it's, it's sometimes a daily fluctuation and sometimes Mm -hmm. it is that sort of those deep troughs kind of sink in and sometimes I don't even realize what's happening. Yeah. I just will recognize that I haven't picked up my camera in a week or you definitely gave some, some things that you do to kind of help yourself get out of that. Do you have any other advice for someone who may be struggling with the motivation to keep going with their craft or, um, how to just manage some of that, that low point that comes in? I don't know if I'm in a place necessarily to give advice all in, in this topic. I think a lot of the existential like frustration or doubt comes from like comparing myself with other people. And the older I get, the more I realize that cliches are like cliches for reasons. And they're like, oh man, this is like, people say this all the time because it's like a really true thing. In high school, it's really easy to be like, oh man, that, that person's really cool and I want to be doing their thing. But you're just a different person. Like for me, I was like a cross country runner, kind of this like weird kid with like friends who were doing some different things and like me comparing myself to like a football player is like completely ridiculous because like I don't want to play football I don't want to be doing what he's doing so why am I like even thinking of like why am I even comparing myself and that happens a lot now I think in this world and photo outdoor world are so easy to like look at somebody else and it's like oh man they're doing something really cool like they're like skiing big mountains or like they're doing that's like I don't even like skiing so why am I like having this thought of like I don't want to be even shooting skiing. I don't want to be doing like cycling. I'm, I'm, <laughs> that's not me. The more I've accepted that, like, all right, I'm, I'm this person. This is who I'm, who I am. This is what I do. And the more I can lean into that and just kind of like trust. Since I have been able to trust it, I've gotten hired for different things based on my personality. And like, I just feel more welcomed and more comfortable with myself. So that kind of cliche of like just being yourself is so, so true to me. Something I wish I took more seriously in high school or even earlier. You certainly live in a, deep world of comparison yeah when we can infinitely scroll at and look at everyone else's life definitely. and waste our own at the same time i definitely struggle with that comparison uh but yes cliche yeah. is there for a reason yeah I just, I just don't understand why it's so common to do like even for myself or other people just to be like comparing comparing work comparing projects comparing life so it's like this is especially to a, when you're comparing it to something you don't like <laughs> or you yeah. don't want on your website you write that your work is negotiating a quiet path between adventure and humanity and i think looking through a lot of the work that you have there's a, a closeness and a connection with your subjects people that you work with and photograph and make films about 
how do you approach finding that quiet path? A lot, so a lot of the stuff I shoot is in the outdoors and kind of these outdoor experiences and, and then sometimes beyond outdoors where it's, whether it's like more of a social type of story, I feel like the great thing about photography is just, is however this photographer sees the world or however they experience it. And kind of what I was saying before, like I'm taking photographs of what I see or like what I want to be seeing or how I experience things. And like for me being in, going on these big mountain runs or like being in these big grand places, I'm not usually like looking around at like the scenery. It is a little bit more about like how I'm interacting with the person I'm with or like what we were talking about, what we were laughing about. And that's the stuff that I remember personally. Like I, I love big landscapes and it's cool, but it's just not like what motivates me to be going outdoors. Some more of these like sensitive social topics. I just like spending a lot of time with people. I think when you spend more and more time with somebody, they open up a little bit easier and just being vulnerable and, and sometimes being quiet and just listening is the best way for someone to like start talking. When people just keep talking and talking and talking, it's really easy to tune them out. But when people are a little more quiet, when they say something, it's heard a little bit more or has a little bit more weight. I'm really attracted to people who kind of fit into that and stories that kind of fit into that where it's a little bit more modest of a character or modest of a trip. And it's like, oh, wow, this is like maybe not the coolest thing if you just explain it briefly. But the person involved is really interesting. Building on people's character is more interesting to me than anything. Like if you can feel some sort of connection to the other person, that's more interesting than their whole story even. That their story is what's interesting as opposed to whatever they're doing. I hope that my work can kind of play into that, whether it's one photo of a person or like a photo of a group of people and showing how they interact with each other or how, how I interact with them. I think like sometimes including my perspective with the person through the photo, that's when I feel like the photos are the best is when I have some sort of a connection. Do you feel like you have a, a mission as a creative person or uh, any sort of responsibility as someone who is in the creative space? A lot of my life has been like built around friendships and I've had some of my, some of my best friends have been the same friends that I've had since first grade. I don't know if this like ties into everything that I do or what I want to be like leaving totally, but it's definitely a part of it where I want to like basically have people want to value their friendships and the time they're having with, with their close friends or loved ones or family. That's just kind of important to me. Kind of like the Hudson trip is kind of that's what that was all about. You could be doing anything, anything crazy in the world, but the people that you are with is what's actually memorable and what's important. Um, kind of going back to like the cliches that are like beaten over our heads. To me, it just kind of feels like a cliche to say like, it's the people, people that make the trip or it's like the time making memories with friends. That's really, really important. Whether it's a friend, a friend trip with Kirk down the Hudson River or like this project on this guy, Roger Reddish. In that film, to me, people would be like, all right, I'm going like, to reach out to my grandparents or I'm going to reach out to like some of my older relatives and have a conversation with them. Or if it's back again to like the Hudson River with Kirk, it's like, all right, I'm going like, to do a trip with my friend. I'm trying to reignite that like feeling of innocence or wonder through friendships. Brendan's message of really valuing your relationships with friends and family certainly sticks with me. Take a moment to be quiet. Listen to what people around you have to say. And to all the creative folks out there who may be feeling stuck or lost, keep going. Things will be different further down the road. As for me, you know it. I'll be back next Monday with another episode of Here For Now.